right. Welcome, everybody, to Freightonomics. Uh, the first week of May, May 5th, Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo, everyone. Uh, hopefully, you practice it safely wherever you are. Uh, I'm Zach Strickland, Director of Freight Market Intelligence here at Freightways. And with me, as always, Anthony Smith, Lead Economist and several other titles that I don't even know how to pronounce. <laughs> Uh, you know, here is the podcast show that we uh, discuss the combination of freight market intelligence with the macroeconomic environment in mind. Uh, that is why Anthony is here to keep me straight with what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, you know, and today's show, of course, is sponsored by me. <laughs> Anthony Smith. <laughs> uh, but another A in the industry, Amazon Freight. Is that and right? That's, that's, that's who we're sponsored by. Uh, I believe, or maybe we're not anymore. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> we're sponsored by Anthony. Never Anthony mind. We're Smith sponsored by Anthony today. <laughs> um, so, but today uh, we are going to talk about a lot of things concerning Amazon, and that is in particular the freight mar The freight moving from overseas continues to be a thing, but uh, also all of these goods that are coming into the United States, they're getting shoved into places that, you know, creating bottlenecks. Uh, it's infecting the economic recovery, and we're going to talk about what potentially may happen if some of these things, you know, if how do we how do we manage this situation moving forward into the future? You know, nearshoring uh, is the big question here, and what does that mean? How does that impact cost in the long run? Maybe that's not the all, uh, you know, the all-encompassing solution. Uh, so we're going to dive into that uh, a little bit later in the show. But Anthony, you're fresh off a of vacation. That's right. Feeling I refreshed? got it. I might have to do some walking <laughs> back. So if you remember, I think it was sometime in 2024, sure it was in 2020. But early on in the year, we had Marianne on and Marianne Hensley, our VP of sponsor content here at FreightWaves. We had a debate around the state of California. Yeah, I'm not familiar. And <laughs> I had some pretty harsh things to say about the state, how it was overexpensive, overpopulated. Yep. And really is a skip. I visited and I have to walk a few things back. I woke up to the sounds wow. of the beach. I'm just like, okay, I can get used to this. Maybe I can try avocado toast. I don't know. I'm not going to push it. Easy. I'm just going to say California, San Diego was a nice place. <laughs> Laguna Beach, amazing. Well, welcome back uh, from California. And uh, we'll see if California accepts your apology or not. <laughs> uh, but something that does somewhat pertain to California, our first story of the day uh, you know, in trucking, we've talked about the AB5 implications, uh, basically concerning the independent con uh, contractor, uh, how employers view independent contractors, how they're allowed to legally, uh, and so on and so forth. Uh, and a lot of this, of course, is driven around uh, one lawsuit in particular concerning drayage uh, operators out there on the ports. Uh, whether or not they're entitled to benefits and all sorts of other things that come along with gainful employment. Uh, but there's also the other side of the coin where you have the independent contractors, the owner operators that really enjoy not having to be told uh, where to go and what to do in terms of forced dispatches and, and whatnot with the, uh, uh, when they're driving over the road. So first story is Biden blocks Trump era gig worker rule. Uh, basically nothing of I don't think anything here of meaningful importance uh, overtly. You know, this is basically one that says it's going to make it a little bit tougher uh, or easier, I should say, for, you know, people to enforce that they are actual employees of uh, a particular company. This right. obviously applies more to the gig economy, I believe. Uh, but it does, uh, you know, keep things kind of open down the road for, uh, you know, the in independent contractors to be 
group, like pulled in under the grouping of that employer uh, code right there. <laughs> and you have to wonder, is this something that an independent contractor wants? Yeah. I mean, when you think about drivers specifically, they like that ability, owner operators, to just kind of carve their own path, do what they want to do, wake up and decide where they're going to go. And so this kind of throws a wrench into some of those plans for some of those people that got into that independent lifestyle for that reason. Yeah, and I'm a huge supporter of the independent lifestyle myself. So I, it, it, it's, I don't like seeing this direction, even though I know that there's definitely uh, situations where this is, is very important to have that employee uh, you know, support, uh, especially sometimes the, the bigger companies can take advantage in certain areas. But I think we've kind of, as a society, moved out of that era uh, largely, uh, you know, Biden has said that he wants more union jobs, which I don't understand that statement in terms of just taking it at face value. Uh, union jobs or union jobs were grown out of a time where employers really had a large amount of upper hand. I don't want to have an environment where the employees have to form together in a union to get just basic bare minimum benefits, which is largely what a union uh you know, comes out of is where there is some sort of employer-employee abuse cycle there that they have to have some sort of federal assistance. So I don't, I don't like that statement at face value, even though I know it's politically motivated in there. But we'll see how it all shakes out. I don't think this one is necessarily a huge deal at this point. It sounds more like a political statement than anything. Definitely, but something to keep our eyes on. I mean, when yeah. you think about unions, we mentioned a few shows back, there was a time and place for it, just as you mentioned. Is it now? And then especially, we're going to get into um, the idea of nearshoring and mm -hmm. manufacturing and the cost of making goods within the U.S. And so I think this is going to be a, a topic that we're going to kind of revisit here in just a few minutes. Yeah, I like that. So next story, this one's fascinating to me because it's basically, you know, covering the drop in the birth rate in the United States. Now, we've had cycles uh, you know, where we have high amounts of birth and it, and it shrinks and whatnot. So in the context of that, it's not like this huge drop or decline. Uh, we've had lower, you know, birth rates and, and whatnot over the course of history. But this is a pretty big uh, drop. This is the biggest one since 1979, right the year after I was born. Um, so I'm in that rare air uh, of, of lower birth rate situation. So, Anthony, I just want to know, economically speaking, should I care about declining birth rates? You shouldn't care, I don't think too much, but maybe individuals in about 20 or so years should care 30 or so years. I mean, if this persists, we can expect to have an aging population. I hear that like, you know, places like Japan, Singapore have a significant aging population where people are gonna be aged out essentially. And you're gonna have this, I don't wanna use the word glut of senior <laughs> citizens or oversupply of senior citizens, but that's essentially gonna be the, the situation. Um, when you're thinking about that, we, we might have to just kind of open up our, our industries a little bit more to kind of reeling in the best talent. And that means taking brain drain from other countries, um, bringing them into the U.S. to keep that diverse, youthful mentality that is the United States that's always kind of been driving us forward. But I don't think it's too big of a thing right now, mm -hmm. but it will be, I'm pretty sure, soon in the next 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Some of the things they talk about here in terms of like people are waiting longer to have kids. The teenage birth rate has dropped significantly, which I think that's a huge plus in, right. this, in this statistic. Um, and, you know, I think people are just waiting longer. They're taking time to get financially secure. 
Uh, but there are periods of higher stress we just went through with COVID. Uh, and that, but that's, that's a wise decision to hold off uh, on you know, reproducing until you have a more secure environment. So I don't, I don't, think, I don't really take it as a bad sign in general. I feel like this is, a, this is kind of a win in terms of IQ and <laughs> overall population. <laughs> Not a bad time a yeah. thing at all. I mean, and you look at it, and it's a different environment than what it was many years ago. I mean, yeah. think about a few generations ago where you can get they got married at like 16 and then one, the guy built a house with his bare hands and they had a job making 25 cents an hour, but they were able to provide for it. So it is an entire different, different yeah. landscape right now where you have um, people strapped with student debt, um, yeah. unable to really kind of, that cost of living, cost of living being is. able to support a family <laughs> it is has not really kind of grown to that level yet. Right. So I, right. I get it. So here's a story that's topical for the week. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Anthony, but this Sunday is Mother's Day. Just want to remind you. I wonder what I'm going to get. Yeah, call your mom. Well, you know what? To get her flowers. That's no, what's she going to get me? She wouldn't be a mom without me. Oh, my goodness. That's how it works, right? Here we go. That's how it works. <laughs> well, most of the world goes out and at least gets their mother flowers. <laughs> uh, and this is an interesting story in the way that it does have an impact to transportation almost every year. Florida right now. This is the season for, be, for heading into Florida if you are a reefer carrier or even a dry van carrier at that. Uh, capacity tightens uh, almost, un, you know, it's kind of ironic, uh, you know, how you don't necessarily like to go into Florida if you're a carrier. Very consumer heavy, not a lot of outbound freight. But this time of year, we get a lot of Mother's Day flowers and it all drives into the Port of Miami, or I should say flies into the Port of Miami from Colombia and Ecuador. So South America, the biggest uh, provider of flowers. An interesting article on Bloomberg today, just kind of showing you where these flowers came from, how they got their start, uh, the climate. Mm. Fascinating story if you're into climatology or anything like that. It's 8,000 feet high, the Bogota Plain right. uh, Plateau, and it's right on the equator. So it's like this perfect mix of, alti of temperature, altitude that keeps these flowers, uh, you know, blooming all year long. So, so it's ideal climate to just grow any kind of flowers. Any kind of flowers all the time. And that is where the gross majority of all our cut flowers come from in the United States. Okay, Columbia. so I might be diving into the weeds here. Mm -hmm. But when we're looking at Colombia, are they going to become a world power <laughs> whenever the U.S. legalized mar marijuana? I, is that going to be like the ideal place to grow? I mean, we have California sitting over there already set up. You so. see what I did there? In yeah. the weeds? Yeah, yeah in the weeds. <laughs> but yeah, that Very mean, clever. there's a lot growing on there. And I mean, it makes sense with that climate, the location, the area. And I mean, mm -hmm. it's kind of, a, I don't know, it's going to be primed to be an area of growth, not just for these one-off holidays, but if they can kind of capitalize on a growing market like that. Yeah. That'd be a huge area. Yeah, no, we actually discovered the uh, first year at Freightways, we discovered this weird anomalous jump in tender rejections out of Miami this week, <laughs> uh, where we saw reefer rejections spike. Uh, and I remember me and John Paul Hampstead were sitting there going, what? <laughs> yeah. And I never hauled flowers before, but uh, you know, this time I, I learned something. I did a little bit of research. So I found that very interesting for those that don't know that it is Mother's Day. Uh, there is a Mother's Day flower season Beautiful. in the freight market. It lasts about get a week. Nice. Yeah. In uh, this last story, now this is a good segue transition into the topic of the day, which is nearshoring. Greg Miller writes an article on Freightways.com. Brace for impact. Data shows U.S. import demand still rising. We covered this 
pretty decently last week with Henry Byers. If you want to go back and listen to that episode, um, he does a fantastic job. Greg Miller does a fan, absolutely fantastic job of going top to bottom on why uh, everybody should be paying attention to the maritime sector and the imports uh, that are still coming in. He gives tons of sonar data in this article, basically saying, here's your beginning, here's your ending process in terms of just aggregate understanding why these signals are still in line. He talks about customs imports, what we have seen come in. And then he talks about the inbound uh, tender bookings, uh, the ETU index, that is the bookings data. That's talking about the stuff that's about to leave and it continues to rise and it's risen every single week throughout the month of April. Um, so shippers are still pulling freight into the United States, right. which begs to lead to the question, Anthony Smith, we are so, I know everybody is, you know, has been discussing about the tensions with China uh, and Asia and sourcing things. It's very cheap over there uh, to, to produce a lot of our goods. It's also prone to disruption. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of risk in offshoring your freight or your, uh, you know, raw materials and freight, or whatever it is that you're doing overseas. You know, the semiconductors, something that we are as a society, the globe depends on. Uh, most of that comes out of Taiwan. Um, you know, one single company produces it. Right. <laughs> it just, you know, I don't know if everybody's heard this, the cliche of putting all your eggs in one basket. But, <laughs> you know, as a finance major, uh, you know, diversifying your portfolio is always a good uh, thing to do. So I, I think, you know, that leads us off with, you know, what do you think companies need to be talking about moving forward in turn as it pertains to, you know, offshoring, nearshoring moving forward. And then we're, I think we need to break down the ISM uh, and the recent uh, outlook on that. Definitely. I think so companies going to have to look at what the cost benefit analysis. I mean, that, that they're already doing that for yeah. sure. But one of the things they're going to look at is, OK, is it going to be pertinent to keep production in China due to ease of, you know, manufacturing prowess there. They have a facility infrastructure essentially built out specifically for this. The country was made to help keep goods manufactured at a low cost and be the most convenient and the number one spot for all world production. Now, when we're looking at the U.S., we're consuming at a rapid rate and faster than a lot of our counterparts and partners can produce it. One of the other things that we're going to be seeing is, I think, an increase in domestic manufacturing but not because there's going to be more, because we have seen a decrease, uh, we're going to talk about it soon in ISM, and the employment. Um, we can't employ enough within manufacturing right now, but it's only going to be a matter of time until the lack of, of commodities coming in, the lack of manufacturing, the, the slowdowns that the supply chain are having to where the cost is going to be a lot more favorable to produce these things domestically, but not through the, the increase of labor, but the increase of technology and increase of automation. I think that's gonna be the big, th biggest thing that we're gonna have happen over the next few years here is gonna be increase in automation to increase some of that manufacturing domestically. Yeah, I, 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 I hope that you're right. And I, I'm wondering too, if maybe this has kind of kick-started that effort in terms of reinvesting in technology now to where, you know, a cheap labor is one thing, it's very easy and it has been easy to come by, especially uh, overseas. It's kind of been a focus of a lot of bigger companies, especially in the electronic space. Um, but I think any time that you are talking about something like cheap labor, uh, that's, um, that's a job or a position that can easily be automated right. uh, in general. I mean, look at the supply lines and uh, automotive. You know, They still have a human component 
Uh, and again, this automation we're talking about does not necessarily replace you know, human capital in the United States because we've kind of moved on. Right. <laughs> From, we're obviously already, we've already kind of moved on and put that overseas. So I, I am curious to hear, you know, your thoughts on how, you know, is this going to come in like the form of giant lumps of capital expenditures? Uh, you know, what, what do you think some of the industries that are ripe for this uh, automation and reinvestment? Who are the first people to come back to the United States or maybe Mexico or Canada or something just closer to home? Definitely. I think for sure it, it makes a lot of sense to have partner with Mexico. Um, that's been an area that I've been watching and expecting for that partnership to really kind of increase and grow over the last few years. It hasn't quite happened at the rate I thought it would. Same with India. I was thinking that they're going to be able to kind of catch up to ma manufacturing um, status from, from China. But again, that infrastructure is such, it's, it's built for it. Right. Um, but I think we're definitely going to see some nearshoring efforts for sure, um, hopefully partnering with Mexico. But I think when we're looking at the increase of automation, a lot of things that's already here is the Internet of Things. When we're looking mm -hmm. at the, the communication of machinery to each other, I think that's the early parts of machine learning. The, the, if you look at an Amazon warehouse, I'm sure mm -hmm. that would be like the, the kind of, not ground zero, but maybe a, a glance in the future of you, you seeing how machinery is interacting and, and how it's moving throughout the warehouse and how it's pulling things and, and the need for someone to say operate a forklift isn't what is needed right now within mm -hmm. the manufacturing economy. And so I think we're going to see it at the very highest levels. And that's only going to be a matter of time until that upstream manufacturing and automation makes its way downstream into fast food places. I mean, you go to McDonald's now and I don't know if you've been to the one um, right by the hospital at Erlanger, um, there's still people there, but there are those big screens now where you essentially, you don't even go up to the talk to a cashier, you just put in your order on the screen. And so I think that's a way to kind of wow. alleviate some of the, the buildup in lines and make things a little bit more convenient. But I think it's just gonna be an upstream thing where you see the internet of things, make things a little bit more convenient, and then that's gonna make its way downstream for sure. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting to see because there's always kind of a trade-off here. Once you decide to automate something, you're committing to an infrastructure. You know, you're committing to this way. So when you do commit to this process, you're, you're basically saying that this process needs to be in place for a long period of time for you to get your investment back. And, you know, places like McDonald's like that, that's a pretty cheap investment, I think, in terms of general ORI. It's, you're going to get that back. You don't necessarily have a long uh, you know, investment cycle to get your money back on that. That's a low kind of, that's an easy, low-hanging fruit investment. Right. Uh, but some of these larger companies like chip providers and things like that, that, that make these, you know, advanced electronics, like it takes time and energy, especially when you're developing stuff and changing it. You know, if you're trying to, you know, it's one thing to make a Model T, you know, and it's all black and it's all the same model and you don't necessarily expect a lot of innovation. Mm -hmm. But in technology, you do expect a lot of innovation and you do expect to have to retool uh, your equipment a lot. How does a company deal with the, you know, kind of the setting sun of technology uh, on, on certain aspects? I mean, do you have to really be focused in that effort or? I think so. And yeah. I think that's, that's where when you have some of those I want to say future-proof, but like the Internet of Things, mm -hmm. when you have machinery talking to each other, that's going to be for sure a thing that's going to be integrated, whether we are changing any type of large-scale manufacturing process. They're going to need to be able to communicate to each other 
need to have that predictive uh, analysis of this machinery is about to break down. And this is going to be uh, an area that's going to need to be maintenance soon. So I think that's going to be one of the areas that we see as a very a much uh, uh, an area that is going to be here to stay for quite some time. But you're exactly right. When we're looking around uh, the, the entire industry, we have to see, OK, is this investment going to be here to stay? Is this going to be something that is going to be a return on investment and that's going to be meaningful? Um, when we're looking at overall prices, I mean, we look at the ISM PMI, we have, a, I think, a sonar chart here. Let's look at the ISM PMI that recently came out. And it shows that the increase of prices have been substantially high for manufacturing. So this is uh, one of the latest data points that we see from the ISM PMI. And it just increased to 89.6, actually. So that latest data point is showing that while the ISM overall fell down um, four percentage points, the prices are still remaining elevated because there's such a shortage of commodities. And so I think this is going to be one of the things that's going to drive the very thing that's going to be nearshoring or right. <laughs> really being able to control our assets and our, our destiny, not really wait on others to do it. And I, I think this kind of tells a story of not just a shortage of commodities, but uh, the lack of domestic production right now. Yeah, I, this is fascinating to me because you're making a, a strong case. Uh, I think when you see these price increases like this, that only helps them develop the ORI and pushes them further into what we're talking about in terms of nearshoring and automation. A lot, large component of these prices uh, comes from transportation costs. That's it. So, I mean, when, you, when you're talking about five, six thousand dollars to on what used to be, you know, twelve to fifteen hundred dollars to get something from uh, China to North America. You're only making the case stronger and stronger for companies to start evaluating that process of saying, okay, we need to do something. Right, right. <laughs> you can't just sit on that level of volatility, especially when you combine that with the fact that it could be a lot worse. Yeah. You know, especially if, you know, geopolitically speaking, <laughs> this country is kind of at the epicenter of a lot of people's uh, radar in terms of should they, should we trust them? Yeah. Can we trust them? Yeah. Um, and that's a valid question at this point. They've had a lot of initiatives over the past decade uh, that make you think eh, it's not necessarily a great partnership to really rely on heavily. Um, you know, with the Silk Road initiatives and them investing in other companies' infrastructures and things like that. So they're kind of embedding themselves, you know, not unlike what a lot of the, uh, you know, the old European colonial yeah. <laughs> empires used to do. Uh, and, you know, whereas, you know, for good or bad reasons, that's still not something that, uh, you know, since we do have fundamental ideologies that are different uh, in the way that our e economies work, uh, not necessarily a partner that you want to rely on too heavily. So, uh, you know, looking also down into the, uh, the ISM a little bit, the employment, we talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Do, yeah. You, do you really foresee this being, you know, again, another aspect of this that we can kind of automate? <laughs> You know, in a lot of cases, do you think yeah. that that's another reason to help to push this down the line a little bit? For sure. And I think early on, I think it's going to be one of those things that's going to be a little bit of a carryover from the pandemic. I think a lot of manufacturers are going to say, OK, we're still struggling with, uh, you know, getting the facility fully staffed after COVID-19. But if this sustains and holds like holds on to this lack of uh, employed individuals within, uh, you know, within manufacturing, that's only going to push the need for more automation and more technology to be infused into the industry more and more as we get further and further away from the COVID-19 pandemic. If it's here to stay, we're going to need a solution for it. 
and we can't just keep blaming COVID because that's only going to be a, a, <laughs> right. a, 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 a point to blame over the next, you know, maybe year or so, maybe six months. After six months, no one's going to want to hear about it anymore. It's going to like, right. hey, it's been here. We're vaccinated. Fix it. And after a while, that's going to just, I think, be the, the biggest thing. But as I mentioned, we got to talk about the, the freight implications. And so yeah. when I talk about the uh, Internet of Things and the technology entering the field of manufacturing, that same technology is going to be entering other segments. And we're looking at automated uh, vehicles. We're looking at trucks, automated trucks um, being potentially deployed throughout the country. Now we're still some ways away, but the groundwork's already there. And I think it's kind of safe to say that it's likely going to happen. Um, it's still going to need a, a driver at the wheel. So it's not going to just be a bunch of driverless trucks right now. But that Internet of Things is going to be one of those things that's going to also help control maybe one driver leading a fleet of trucks off to one, um, you know, lone destination. Yeah, let's go down this road a little bit here. So, I mean, we have, uh, you know, there's a lot of stuff that needs to happen before we get to full-on level five autonomy. Right. That's still a long way away, but there's already companies, uh, we talked about on Great Quarter Guys yesterday, Andrew Cox and I did a little bit, that have level four in the works. And it's, you know, on a short haul basis and wide open, areas, uh, very much a thing that's probably going to happen in the next few years. Um, but we're going to need the government to kind of step in too and, uh, and give a little bit of a push down the road. Do you think that there is, you know, there's, it's going to take a long time for that to, to come into play? Do you think that that's going to keep things kind of at a standstill? Um, and then do you think, what do you think that the government should do? What kind of role should they play to get this thing, you know, moving in the right direction? Definitely. Like you said, I think it's for sure a few years out. Mm -hmm. um, that's, but it's, it's here. The groundwork's here, and it's going to be kind of keep moving forward. But the government's going to have to move quickly on this one. Yeah. I mean, we just had drone waves. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> they have not historically moved quickly on anything, yeah. except for those stimmy packages. But, yeah. but they have not historically moved too quickly on anything. Um, but when we looked at drone waves, one of the things I, I've heard was that they are working with these drone manufacturers and really kind of helping with push this technology forward because they know it's the future. Mm -hmm. I think if the government sees that it's going to be the future, it's going to be one of those things that we have to kind of get our minds around and make sure that there's proper policy in place. That's going to create some motivation. But like you said, they're not known for moving too quickly. So I'm not going to hold my breath on it, but we're, we're going to see, need to see some more quick, quickly implemented policies on the government side. Um, to really kind of push this automation forward. Yeah, I'll talk to my drivers out there. These guys have been on the road for a long time. What do you think their the implications for them are? Uh, you know, if you know this automated driver situation uh, becomes a thing, I think there's going to be some fear around it, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you think of automation, and I think the first thing in my head is like, hey, I'm a driver, I'm an owner operator. When am, am I going to be out of a job now? Right. Um, but but from what I hear, I think mm -hmm. the angle that it should be is that those drivers are gonna, still going to be needed. Maybe this will be a potentially safer uh, or, or easier thing for drivers to kind of be a part of. You still have to be in the, the vehicle itself. You have to be in the rig. It's just going to be automated. You're going to be the operator still, essentially. And uh, but, but of course, there's going to be a lot of individuals like, no, I, I've been doing this for 15, 20, 30 years. No, there's not a way I'm going to be switching out. But I think that's going to be the hard battle right there. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're going to really see a huge impact in the owner-operator population, the independent contractor side. Uh, especially, I think this is going to be a fleet, a private fleet thing. Definitely. 
uh, initially, uh, which, you know, that's probably one of the sweeter gigs if you're a driver over the road, but it's probably still going to be focused largely on very short haul, uh, non-city, non-local uh, situations, you know, and open spaces, especially in the near term. But yeah, I think that there's definitely a, a still a job <laughs> for our for drivers sure. uh, here in the near term. So, Anthony, uh, I think we've covered, you know, that we're going to definitely need to be watching for nearshoring activity. <laughs> and it's definitely a good thing. The government is probably going to have to have some sort of involvement uh, to push this down the road. We're going to need to rely on technology a little bit more heavily to make this a reality. Uh, investing in automation and obviously more data. Um, it's a fascinating time. It's yeah. going to change the way that we move freight across the country. It's going to change our economy dramatically. So I think that's a benefit in general. Anytime we have a big paradigm shift of the economic behavior, it's always a huge boon for our American economy. But before we go, we only have about 40 seconds left. We have a debate to cover. You just got back from the beach yes. in California. Best vacation spot that you go to, beach, mountains, city. I can't beat the beach now. Waking up in here in the ocean, it's it changed my life. I was <laughs> going to say mountains, but here in the ocean, when I wake up, it's, it's life-changing. I got to go with it. What about you? A beach is probably my catch-all, but okay. the mountains, the mountains, most unique, don't have a lot of people around you. You can clear your head. You got a lot of fishing. You can ski in the winter. That's the thing, the people. I want few <laughs> as people as possible. <laughs> you know, it's been a good show. Thank you for watching and make sure to check us out Thursday next week. Is it Thursday next week? Thursday Our? Next week. Drink more water. <laughs> At noon on Thursday. <laughs>